Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. well would you be doing in your health if it matched your spiritual well-being and your spiritual health? Some might be on life support, huh? Perhaps some of us, the apostle, might pray for us. I pray that you would become as spiritually well-nourished and healthy as you are physically, because we've got the tables turned. We're taking more care, more concern for our prosperity in this realm than we are in the next. We're caring more about being healthy in in this temporal life than we are for all of eternity. In his message today, Pastor David asks the question, how does your physical health compare to your spiritual health? If your spiritual health was an indicator of your physical health, would you be in a coma or strong enough to climb a mountain? This is a quick way to gauge your spiritual health, something that we need to care for just as we do our physical health. Are you eating nutritious foods or going for junk food? Do you spend your time in the Word or watching reality TV shows? Now here's Pastor David in the book of 3 John chapter 1 as he begins his message, Encourage to Condemn to Commend. modern entertainment venues, particularly in television, because television a lot of times it's limited to like 30 minutes or maybe uh, 60 minutes kind of a show. You've got a half hour show or a, or a one hour show and then every week something goes on. Usually within that time there is this huge amount of drama that comes up and then by the time 30 minutes is done, they've settled all the drama, they found out who murdered who, and they've got him in jail and taking care of the issue like that. Drama, drama, drama. We are going to look at a bit of drama, and it's found in the third letter of John, John uh, the third epistle of John. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn there, and in only 14 verses... There's a lot of drama that's going on here, and we're going to be looking at that tonight. Third and last epistle of John. As it's written in Greek, it's actually the shortest book in your New Testament. It's a real close tie between uh, the second epistle of John and the third epistle of John, but uh, the third epistle actually wins out. It's uh, as a letter. It's uh, one of the most uh, personal ones. It would rank right up there along with Paul's letter to Philemon, just dealing with some personal issues that are there. It's not really instruction to a church. It's directed actually to an individual written, uh, as we believe, by the Apostle John. It's written to uh, encourage one brother. It's written to condemn the actions of another individual. And then it's also written to 
commend or give a blessing to another brother. Four different individuals, if you include the apostle, that are all wrapped up here in these 14 different verses. And again, all of this drama that we're going to look at uh, tonight. Now, the timing and the place of the letter, we have absolutely no idea. We don't know when it was written uh, for certain. We know it was written during the first century, during the latter part of the first century. We don't know exactly where uh, physically it was written to. It was written to a man by the name of Gaius, but we don't know where he lived. Paul, in this letter, uh, again, he gives us some names, Gaius, Diotrephes, and Demetrius. We really don't know anything else about any of these guys other than what we have right here in Third John. There's no other identifying markers for it. We can't say, well, Diotrephes, he was, he was so-and-so and so-and-so and with so-and-so. We, we just don't know. Uh, Demetrius, we don't know any background other than what we have here. So it's really kind of a peculiar area or a letter in, in that case and in that sense. So you might ask, so what's the importance of this letter? If we don't know any of these guys, we don't know when it was written, we don't know where it was written, it wasn't really a letter to the church, then why do we even have it here? What's the importance of it? I see at least three things as I've studied this and looked at this that, that seem to be important as we look at this letter. First of all, we see a very clear difference here between those that are walking in the Spirit of God versus those who are not. Those that are just walking in the flesh, and we'll look at that in a little bit. Secondly, we're also going to see that there has always been, always been within the church, those that hold authority, those that hold some sort of power in the church, and yet they are filled with pride, and they are focused more on their own position and on their own power than they are in serving the church. In the words of Christ, it ought to be completely different. If you are in a place of authority, then you are in a place of service to the church. And we see here that in the very beginning, in the early church, at the beginning, the first century, we had those that once they gained some kind of power, some kind of authority, it came to their head, and again, they began to lord it over others. The third thing that I see is that there is a multitude of unsung heroes of the faith. Those that have a great, great reward in heaven, even though the world may not even know really who they are. Maybe we'll have a name. Maybe we don't have a name. But their names are written, again, in that heavenly registry, that Lamb's book of life. God takes note of who they are. The reward for them is great. So those three things, uh, the fact that, yeah, number one, those that walk in the Spirit of God, those that don't, we're going to see that clearly here in these 14 verses. We're going to see again about those that have authority, and yet that authority goes to their head. They're filled with pride. And then we're going to see about these unsung heroes. Well, just like in 2 John, uh, once again, the writer introduces himself, uh, yet without a name. Uh, he doesn't really give his name. In actuality, we find a lot of things within Third John that actually do parallel with Second John, a lot of some of the same issues. One thing we did speak about in Second John last week when we looked at that was the fact that, yeah, there's absolutely no names that are used in Second John, 
And we talked about the fact that very possibly that was because of a lot of the persecution that was going on during that time. The letter went out, people understood who it was from, then the church setting within the understanding there was not written to where it would be something that those that would persecute the church would be able to have that to hold against them. Here in 3 John, he does give the name of these three other individuals, but his own name, once again, he simply refers to himself as the elder. Once again, church history agrees that it's the Apostle John that wrote this book. Why didn't he use his name here? He used the name of these other three guys. He drops their names pretty well. Why not his? Well, perhaps he gave his name as the elder to just simply speak of his authority to the church. He says, listen, I'm writing as the elder. Uh, You know, there's a lot of times I I talk with people and I say, look, uh, just call me David. you, You don't need to call me Pastor David. Just call me David. But then again, I also understand that sometimes for some people, the responsibility of a pastor, it really stumbles them up just to call the pastor David. They want to, again, kind of give that, uh, uh, I guess, uh, deference to the fact that God has called, God has placed, God has given that responsibility as a pastor or as an under-shepherd to this this body of believers. Believe me, you know, for me, David works really good. But here, John says it's the elder, because there's some heavy things that he's going to be dealing with here. As John writes this book, again, very similar fashion to Second John, once again, that word truth uh, comes out as a very important focus within the letter. I believe it's a very important focus within John's life as, again, as a believer. Uh, he feels the, the church, uh, we as believers, ought to be, again, demonstrating truth in our lives. In verse 1, he speaks of loving the truth. In verse 3 and 4, he writes of walking in the truth. And then down in verse 8, he's encouraging all of us to become fellow workers for or in the truth. That we as the body of Christ, we work toward truth. Along with the truth is the term, the address, the way that he directs Gaius. Gaius, the one who is the one that this letter is written to. He addresses him as beloved. And uh, depending upon your version, you might have my dear Gaius or my friend Gaius or whatever. But really and truly, the, the term that he is using there is a Greek word, agapeto. Agapeto. Now, agapeto is that word agape, that love of God, but again, it is directed toward an individual. It's like, uh, again, as a parent, my dear one, you would call your, your child as a spouse to each other. You might call, well, you'd call them some silly names, but I'm not talking about that. My beloved, my, my, the one that you really care for. But here you have two men, and John is addressing Gaius as beloved. What he's stating here is the attachment that he has with Gaius is one of genuine godly love. He really cares about this guy. We don't know any of the background. We don't know what they've gone through together, where they've served together, what uh, the, the time that they've spent together. But apparently there is a real strength of their relationship here, filled with care, 
filled with concern. Every aspect about his friend's life here kind of goes into that terminology, beloved. Both the spiritual, every aspect of his life. Uh, it's, again, it, it really becomes a, a, a complete, it becomes a, a really true expression of mature Christian love, brother to brother, and sister to sister. In these short 14 verses, John actually addresses Gaius four different separate occasions with that phrase, agapeto, in verse number one, to the beloved Gaius. In verse number two, beloved, I pray that you may prosper. Verse number five, beloved, you do faithful whatever you, you do faithfully whatever you do. And then down in verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil. Again, there is this care, there is this connection that's here between these two Christian men that, that, that speaks volumes. And I believe it's an important part of the reasoning behind this letter, why he's writing Gaius at this point in time. Something was wrong, someone was going astray, And the apostle wanted to be certain, to encourage, to be able to warn his friend in reference to that wrong and to that individual that's doing that wrong. So let's look at the letter. Verse number one, the elder to the beloved Gaius, or Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Although the normal opening would have been a declaration, yeah, of the name of the author, you know, I, Paul, to the church of, or to Timothy, my son, along that line. Here, with a declaration of the name of the author, normally, normally a direction or an address to whom it's written, and then usually followed up with like a little blessing, grace and peace, that kind of thing. We see that through many of the letters in the New Testament. Uh, But here the apostle goes in a bit of a different direction. Undoubtedly, uh, Gaius knew who the letter was from. I think that even if John had not written the elder, John would have known who it was from. Uh, With the, the depth that we've already spoken of in their relationship, there would have been no doubt that Gaius would have known who, that, that it was his dear friend. It was, it was John who was writing to him. It's kind of like getting a phone call or any communication from a, a, a longtime friend, someone that you're very close to, a close family member. You know, you don't really need an introduction. Hi, this is David. You know, your best friend since high school, the one that, you know, we just went out and had coffee with yesterday. Or, hi, this is David, your husband. Uh, you know, he, he would have known who this was, but he puts on there the elder. The greeting that John gives to Gaius, again, brings out a very powerful word picture. He says to Gaius, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Not only does it speak to the fact that there's no feigned or, or any false affection here. Let's face it, church. I don't want to raise of hands. But how many times have you ever heard this? Hey, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. And you walk away from that saying, yeah, I don't know if they really do or not. Or is that just me? You know, uh, a lot of times we'll say things along that line, and they're, they're either surface or they're not even true. But I think that what we have here, because of the intenseness of this letter, again, John is speaking that he really does 
care for Gaius. He cares for him deeply. But it also speaks, when he says that I love in truth, it speaks of the purity of that love. It's a true, it's a godly love that he has for a brother in Christ. He cares about him in a pure and a godly sense, and we dare not try to make it anything else other than a godly and a pure love, a brother to brother. Now, even the prayer that John offers to Gaius here is, is interesting. It's, it's a powerful phrase that he gives. He says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Prosper in all things that you'd be in health just like your soul prospers. Maybe John was acquainted or he was understood that there was some kind of a personal issues that, that Gaius was dealing with here. Maybe there were some physical issues. Maybe there were some financial issues, either due to the persecution or just simply the fact that we live in a fallen world. We just don't know. We're all subject to, to ills and we're all subject to issues of life. Maybe John had heard that there were some issues in Gaius's life. And so he, the, this prayer comes, again, that he would prosper and that he would have health. But even that, Don't walk away from this believing that John was more concerned about Gaius' health or his wealth more than he was about his physical well-being. That's that's the paramount thing right there, his his spiritual well-being. As a matter of fact, John is using the reality of Gaius' spiritual well-being, his spiritual health, to draw up the status of his physical health and his prospering in this life. As a matter of fact, in our 21st century mindset, all too often we, when, when somebody says, man, I, I pray you prosper in that, what do we think of suddenly? Cha-ching, you know, the dollar signs. That's, what, that's, what, that's just the way we are. We, we think of the, uh, man, he is really prospering. Well, he's got, he's got a really big house, man. His, his checkbook is overflowing. His 401k, his retirement account is just busting at the seams. When in reality, that word used here in, in verse 2 speaks more about the overall well-being. Uh, the overall, man, I pray that you might prosper. And that means just in every area of life, even to the point of safety and ease in travel because that word prosper actually has the meaning of a covering or a protection as you go or in the midst of your journey. So when he says, Matt, I pray that you might prosper, that's just a covering of God in his life. That again, you would see that just as your spirit is prospering. But let's not get too far from the point of the matter. Apparently, Gaius, uh, his his spiritual well-being actually was both, both very evident and it was healthy. His, his well-being was healthy in the spiritual realm. Undoubtedly, Gaius was flourishing and even prospering spiritually. John was simply praying that in the same way that he was prospering in the spirit, that he would prosper just in life and in health, the spirit being the most important thing. So you know what, guys? That kind of begs the question in reference to our own lives. How well would you be doing in your physical well-being? 
How well would you be doing in your health if it matched your spiritual well-being and your spiritual health? Some might be on life support, huh? Perhaps some of us, the apostle, might pray for us. I pray that you would become as spiritually well-nourished and healthy as you are physically because we've got the tables turned. We're taking more care, more concern for our prosperity in this realm than we are in the next. We're caring more about being healthy in, in this temporal life than we are for all of eternity. I wonder if the apostle would pray for some of us and say, I pray that you would strive to be as rich and well-off spiritually and eternally as you are in this physical, temporary world. I think that's a wake-up call for each one of us to look at that. John's prayer for Gaius, again, it it was based upon the reality of the brother being spiritually mature, being strong in the spirit. And again, unfortunately, that, that same prayer can't be made for everyone. Uh, we dare not say that same prayer for everyone. Because again, if I, if I pray and say, man, I pray that God makes you as healthy physically as you are spiritually. You might say, oh, pastor, don't pray that for me. Uh, <laughs> pray something better. Pray something better. Well, John apparently had heard reports, or he has known this brother for a while. He knows, again, the, the depth of the spiritual life of Gaius. The testimony of his life, again, had, had been made known, again, as he had interacted not only with John at some time in the past, but with other brothers that, that John had heard about. Verse 3 actually says, For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that's in you, just as you walk in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. You know what, I I look at this, and I cannot imagine a pastor that's worth his salt who would read that passage and not give a a hearty amen to the fact, man, I, I am so blessed, I have no greater joy than to hear those that uh, I serve and I minister with, man, that they are walking in truth. To hear that someone close to you, perhaps someone maybe even not, not as a pastor, but just you personally, that you had had the opportunity to perhaps disciple. Maybe you wouldn't even call it disciple, but you've poured into their life in some spiritual way. And for you to then find out years down the road, man, they're doing well in the Lord. They're still maturing in their faith. They're walking according to the true word of God in their life. They're living a life of truth before God and before man. And you know that years ago, you had some impact on their life. Maybe you were a Sunday school teacher. Maybe you were a, a co-worker at some uh, company, and you were able to just kind of share your faith with them. Maybe they became a believer then. Maybe it didn't happen until later on after, again, you were out of the scene. I, I know that that happens, man. Some plant, some water, and some so. Paul explains that to us. Man, the impact that you've had in people's lives, how awesome that is to hear about years later. Man, they're growing in the Lord. They're doing well in the Lord. Man, that's so exciting. What a blessing it is to hear that those 
who you had some sort of impact in the past that they're still doing well today. Pastor David has been studying three letters from the Apostle John here on The Open Word, aptly named 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Each one reminds you who Jesus is, why you should follow Him, and how that's accomplished. You can learn from these letters and grow in your faith just the same as the first readers did. And if you're new to the Bible and to Jesus, you can learn all about the man who can save you. Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth to die for your sins. He loves you more than you can comprehend, and He wants you to be free from what's holding you back. If you want to take that next step and begin a relationship with Jesus, we'd like you to know that here at The Open Word, we support you and we're praying for you. If you still have some questions, please give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. We'd also like to encourage you to find and begin regularly attending a church in your area. If you live in Casa Grande, we'd love for you to come visit us. Here's Pastor David with more information. Thanks, Chris. Yes, I'd love to meet you. So please come join us this weekend for a time of worship and Bible study here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can expect to meet some friendly people and learn more about your Savior. Directions and more info can be found at theopenword.com. Just click on the Calvary Chapel link at the bottom of the page. I'm excited to meet you. Thanks for tuning in today to The Open Word. Make us more.